and worst of all, AIDS. Nick felt a chill even thinking about the blood-borne plague, his mind flashing back to Jennifer and the year of hell between her infection and her death. It wasn't until they had the restraints around his legs and left arm that Nick realized the man wasn't struggling. He was pointing. Nick followed the extended limb with his eyes. Across the empty street was the entrance to a posh, black-glass building. I understand. You want me to check out that building? Now just relax. The man's arm fell, and immediately the tension left his body. Charlie tied the last restraint around his right arm, and the litter was ready to go. He walked back toward the group of police officers. Then he pointed across the street. See the brass door over there? There's a trail of glass leading right up to our guy. I think you might want to check it out. Jack Beatty nodded, signaling for two of the cops to follow. Hey, Jack, mind if I tag along? That guy was pretty shaken up. There might be need for a doctor. Beatty thought for a minute, then shrugged. Just stay a few feet behind. Okay, Doc? Alistair, Brodney, and Falk, attorneys. Nick read the gilded lettering as Beatty pulled open the brass door and stepped through. There was a trail of broken glass leading into the revolving door. They proceeded single file through the door. The hallway was twenty feet long and ended in what was once a milky glass door. Beatty cleared his throat as he got within a few feet of the shattered door. Boston Police! Anybody home? There was no answer from the other side of the shattered door. Nick wet his lips as he watched the three officers disappear through the open doorway. Then he heard a sudden gasp in Jack Beatty's voice. Holy mother of God! Nick entered an enormous boardroom lined with leather and wood bookshelves and stopped dead. In the center of the room was a long mahogany table surrounded by nine high leather chairs. The figures in the chairs used to be human. Nick's stomach turned as he ran his eyes over the closest of the nine corpses. The man looked fairly young, perhaps thirty, but it was hard to tell. His skin was as white as ivory, his spine was arched backward, his body rigid, his eyes were wide open, bulging. His lips were curled back, his teeth clenched, as if in agony. Christ, Beatty whispered. Looks like they just turned to bone. Nick swallowed. He thought of the fresh cut from his struggle with the janitor. Suddenly his heart stopped in his chest. Images of tiny, ravenous viruses flashed behind his eyes. He jerked his head up and saw that the cops were staring at him, waiting for his cue. Get back, he shouted. Stay away from the bodies. Back into the lobby, now. He clamped his hand over his cut forearm and stumbled backward through the open doorway. The cops hurried behind him. Their expressions were a mixture of nausea and confusion. If they had known what Nick was thinking, their faces would have shown nothing but sheer terror. Marcus Teal closed his eyes and sucked in a deep breath. The crowd trembled under his gaze, a thousand sweating black faces with eyes wide and lips curled back in proud, devoted smiles. They loved him because he was one of their own, the prodigal son of South Central, boy wonder billionaire, hero of the American ghetto. You want to try? You really want to get out? Teal remembered the day he was asked that question, the day after his father was shot to death on the front steps of the housing project he had called home. He had gone to work in the electronics store, discovering science and self-respect. Out of that came the scholarship to UCLA, then the idea for the software company he had run out of his dorm room. And the rest was history. 
documented in a hundred magazines around the world. But deep inside, Teal knew that his meteoric rise was only the beginning. In seventy-two hours, Marcus Teal was going to become the most important man in the nation. In that same stroke, America would begin to change. The barriers would fall. All the barriers would fall. Just take it easy, Nick. Kim Harrington, Boston General's top virologist and infectious disease specialist, tried to appear nonchalant as she approached the examining table. We'll take some blood, give you some inoculations, and everything will be okay. There's no reason to panic. He looked away, concentrating on the stark white walls and furniture of the quarantine room. The air had a sharp quality to it, years of antiseptic scrubbing, chemical washes, disinfecting microwaves, heat sterilization. Nothing survived in this room for very long. I want to take part in the autopsies, and I want to see a report the minute the microbiological team returns from the scene. Kim sighed, shaking her head. As of an hour ago, Boston General isn't in control of the investigation— the CDC took over as soon as we faxed your description of the scene to their offices in Atlanta. Before Nick could respond, they were interrupted by the clanking of the quarantine room airlock. The heavy door swung inward and in stepped a tall brunette in a stiff, form-fitting gray suit, buttoned all the way to the throat. She wasn't wearing a mask or gloves. Excuse me, Kim Harrington said angrily, stepping forward. This is a quarantine room. It's okay, Dr. Harrington. I'm Samantha Craig, from the CDC. I don't care who you are. This is a hot room. Not anymore. She stepped forward, lifting her clipboard. When she got within a few feet of Nick, she paused. Dr. Barnes, you're free to go. There's no need for further tests or for continuing quarantine. I've already dismissed the three police officers. What the hell are you talking about? Our team at the site has completed an extensive preliminary analysis... We've determined that there's no risk to you or to the police officers. The agent, which resulted in the nine deaths, is no longer infectious, and you're in absolutely no danger. This matter is now under our jurisdiction and will continue our investigation. When we know more, you'll be contacted. With that, she turned on her heels and started toward the door. Nick couldn't believe what he had just heard. Hold on a second. Nick interrupted as the CDC woman reached the door. This isn't an isolated outbreak, is it? The woman stopped, but didn't turn around. I'm sorry, Dr. Barnes. This is a CDC investigation. I'm not at liberty to discuss the details. Nick felt his cheeks flushing red. Bullshit, Ms. Craig. I was at the scene. I saw the bodies. If this isn't the only outbreak, I think I have a right to know. For the record, it's Dr. Craig, and I'm sorry, but there's nothing more I can tell you at this point. He exhaled, frustrated. Two hours ago he had stumbled into a room full of dead bodies. Was he just supposed to forget what he had seen? Five minutes later, Samantha Craig exited through the front entrance of Boston General and slid into the back seat of a black stretch limousine. Immediately the limousine pulled away from the curb and entered the mid-morning traffic. Nick Barnes was going to be a problem. Samantha shut her eyes and tried to lose the thought in the quiet rumble of the tires against pavement. The resemblance was uncanny. Not solely his boyishly handsome appearance, but his attitude, 
his palpable impudence. He was Andrew, fifteen years later with a few wrinkles and ten extra pounds of shoulder. A high-pitched chime echoed through the limousine and she quickly reached into the front pocket of her suit. Her cellular phone weighed barely four ounces and was fitted with the latest in security technology. She flipped it open and pressed the receiver against her ear. Are you alone? She recognized the voice, Sidney Foster, her immediate superior. Go ahead. Is there any progress on your end? I'm chasing a few promising leads, Samantha lied, her stomach churning. We've got to see results. If we don't come through with something soon, well, I don't have to tell you what kind of catastrophe we're talking about. I understand. I hope you do. I've seen a lot of shit come and go over the past few years, but this is beyond anything I could have imagined. People are scared, and I'm talking about people who don't get scared. Samantha swallowed, turned off the phone and shoved it back into her suit pocket. She leaned forward and pressed a button on the divider in front of her. A three-foot section of the wall slid upward, revealing a curved plexiglass computer screen. She pressed a button located directly above the trackball. A small fiber-optic antenna rose a few inches above the trunk of the limousine. She was now linked to the massive computer network in Washington. The information banks of a half-dozen federal agencies were at her fingertips. On a small scale, this was a working preview of... The big turn-on they were constantly talking about on the news. The much-heralded birth of the information highway. She punched in a series of letters and waited for the satellite link to spit out the information she needed. First came the pictures. Then the pictures were replaced by newspaper articles and corroborating documents from more than a hundred disparate sources chronicling baseball and football triumphs.